For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson. And in this latest readout video from our Wednesday Wake Up email newsletter, which you can subscribe to here, we say, hey buddy, remember your car? And if you go, what do you mean remember? It's right outside. We say, well, it is for now. But proponents of drastic action to stop, reverse, limit, and generally de-change climate change insist that their policies won't mean significant lifestyle changes except to better paid, cleaner, and more exciting jobs. But then they plead in the alternative that, just in case, you'd be happier if you did mend your grubby, greedy ways. So, the new 15-minute cities will give you very few places to park because you didn't really want a car anyway, not even an EV. And it's not just cars you secretly long to do without. The Times tells us, quote, how to fix global warming? Bring back rationing, say scientists, end quote. And when journalists say scientists say, can activists be far behind? No, indeed. So an article in something called The Verge, which might be of a whole new way of life or of a mental collapse, we're told that we are gobbling our way to incineration. Quote, the food we eat is destroying the climate. Here's how to fix it, end quote. And fix it fast, you clods, because if we don't, it's, quote, enough to blow past global climate goals set under the Paris Agreement and significantly intensify climate disasters, end quote. So as usual, the bad weather's already here and it's still heading for us. But we can easily fix it, provided we simply, quote, rethink the way we farm, eat, and handle our food waste, end quote. And in case it's hard to rethink planting food and then harvesting it, or cutting it up and then putting it in our mouths, well, it turns out you didn't really want that food anyway. Quote, a few food groups in particular, end quote, have got to go because they, quote, are high sources of methane, end quote. But, quote, the researchers aren't asking for anything extreme or even for people to eat vegetarian. Their modeling, which found a 55% reduction in the food sector's contribution to future global warming, is based on people following healthy diet recommendations from Harvard Medical School, end quote. So, you'll feel better, and probably look better too, thanks to Big Dietitian. And at this point, we mentioned snidely that there's this new study out there saying the cost of building the Canadian Northern Corridor, which seems to be our maple-flavored equivalent of China's Belt and Road Initiative, will have skyrocketed due to climate change. Not that major Canadian infrastructure programs need climate change for their costs to skyrocket, but this one's on fire. Quote, the findings of our analysis show that mean temperatures within the CNC area could increase by 10.9 degrees Celsius and precipitation by 45% by 2100. Adding a climatic layer to investment costs within CNC choke points can increase infrastructure costs by more than 101%, end quote. Oh, come on, an 11 degree increase? What happened to two and four? Not scary enough? Plus, they made the whole thing up, given, quote, a high uncertainty in the available cost values, end quote, which in English means we had no facts. But anyway, if climate change is terrible and cars cause it, who wants roads, especially through Canada's Arctic, which is already blazing away, and if the peat goes, we go, and so do you. Now, from our Department of Follow-Ups, Canada's know-it-all Prime Minister and Chinese Communist asset Justin Trudeau sent Germany's Chancellor packing with a declaration that there was no business case for selling the liquid natural gas he came begging for. But now we read that, quote, Germany to use tenders to build 25 gigawatts of new gas power plants by 2030, end quote. Also, the green subsidy trade war we warned of rages on, with Reuters' sustainable switch announcing that, quote, United States v. EU green funding battle begins, end quote. 
and Canadian steel producers have their hard hats out for some boodle from Ottawa because of, quote, action by key allies to support their industries and workers in the global race to attract climate investment, end quote, while, quote, oil sands giants warn Canada falling behind U.S. on carbon capture incentives, end quote, for this technology so profitable that nobody does it unless subsidized. Also, we chortle that we told you so to the big energy companies, including in Canada's Pathways Alliance, who think chanting the praises of net zero will save them from people who really believe in it, as, quote, investors for Paris compliance, end quote, goes after Enbridge and Suncor. They really, really want you dead. And we take a bow because we led the way on Canada's just transition, saying, quote, they plan to have a plan on February 8th. On February 18, a Toronto Sun Post media editorial announced, quote, just transition, just a plan to have a plan, end quote. On February 28th, Catherine Swift wrote in the Niagara Independent, quote, this document is shockingly empty of any real plan, leading many critics to call it a plan to have a plan, end quote. And on March 1st, the City Howe Institute said, quote, net zero, the plan to have a plan. Thank you. Thank you very much. We also highlight a piece from Terry Corcoran in the Financial Post saying all the green economy hype basically repeats the broken window fallacy that Frederick Bastia smashed in an 1850 essay. As Corcoran writes, quote, In the parable, a boy smashes the window in a town shop, creating an expense and loss for the shopkeeper. But a bystander observes that there is an economic benefit to smashing windows. Glassmakers get more business. A conclusion glibly summarized in one commentary, it's a good thing to break windows, money gets circulated, and the industry thrives, end quote. And now, Corcoran laments, quote, Governments in the Western world attempt to smash the windows of the energy system and replace it with an all-new net-zero energy regime, end quote. And in doing so, they chortle about the opportunities they're creating instead of admitting it's going to cost a fortune just to get back to where we were before they started throwing rocks. In the newsletter, we also note the strange way that environmentalism suspends people's powers of rational judgment, including on economics. If a politician wants to engage in some grub, grubby vote-buying handouts or take a junket, say, flying to the Caribbean on a private jet, they just have to chant about, quote, creating good jobs and fighting climate change, and all will be well. An entrepreneur, Frank Stronach, who peddles cracker barrel wisdom in the National Post, concluded a mostly sensible claim that the Canadian economy is drastically over-regulated and, quote, we could easily slash half of the regulations that are on the books and nothing would change for the worst, end quote, by panicking with, quote, the one exception in terms of removing regulations would be any rules or laws related to workplace safety and the environment. In my view, those should be untouchable, end quote. Right, because once you say abracadabra environment, things that used to be completely irrational become totally unquestionable. Uh, except to the Manhattan contrarian, who observes on this same subject, quote, so far, all indications are that bureaucracies, and environmental bureaucracies in particular, are utterly incapable of making reasonable trade-offs. You don't go into a career as an environmental bureaucrat if you think that your concern for the environment is something that can or should be compromised, end quote. Still, if you want to avoid awkward questions and establish your moral superiority, say you're doing it for the climate, the tundra, the polar bears, the kittens, and so tornadoes don't swoop down on a daily basis and churn up the floodwaters of the drought. Why, even, quote, Canada's spy service warns that climate change poses a profound, ongoing threat to national security and prosperity, including the possible loss of parts of British Columbia and the Atlantic provinces to rising sea levels, end quote. And who could refuse to increase the CSIS budget to forestall that disaster, plus fighting in the streets, quote, across the traditional left-right ideological spectrum, end quote. Also, as fools rush in on climate, we note in the newsletter that geoengineering is becoming alarmingly popular. 
and that our efforts to dispel conspiracy theories, for instance, about contrails, get harder when we read that, quote, Noah will use a converted Air Force bomber to search the upper atmosphere for substances that could help the U.S. reflect sunlight away from the Earth, end quote. No, stop! You can't predict the weather next week, and you insist that humanity's unintended and indirect impact on climate has been disastrous and will be even worse, yet now you say we can change the climate on purpose and get it right? Where have we encountered that kind of arrogance before? I'm glad you asked, because in fact an alert viewer recently sent us a PDF copy of Can Man Change the Climate by one P. Borisov, a Soviet engineer writing for good old Progress Publishers back in 1973, and he took aim at the bourgeois conception that, quote, the conservatism and inertia of climate cannot be overridden, end quote. Instead, he urged us to control our destiny in this as in other respects, and said it was entirely practical for us to get rid of that wretched Arctic ice that was making it cold and nasty in Siberia by flushing the Arctic with some otherwise useless Atlantic Ocean current or something. Gosh, too bad they didn't do that, right? I mean, we all know the Arctic ice has got to go for the sake of the climate. So, now the plan is bring the ice back and kill all the crops. Another triumph for modern man. In this edition of the newsletter, we wrapped up our fact check of Al Gore's rant in Davos by looking at his claim that global warming is, quote, causing these waves of climate refugees predicted to reach one billion in this century. Look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come from just a few million refugees. What about a billion, end quote. Now, a forecast isn't a fact, so we can't comment on the accuracy of his billion refugees by 2100. But are there currently waves of millions of climate refugees sloshing around the world? Well, Oxford University's Our World in Data puts the total number of refugees worldwide at around 26.4 million as of 2020. But the IPCC's 2018 special report on 1.5 degrees warming said it probably wasn't temperature that did it. Then in AR6, they had a bit more to say, namely that most migration due to bad weather is rural to urban within countries, as in the Grapes of Wrath, the 1930s. And it says while about 20 million people globally experience displacement each year because of bad weather, most go back home. So that's a wrap for Al Gore's crazed rant at Davos, zero out of seven statements held up under scrutiny, which apparently is enough to make him a star at the WEF, but not to earn him one of those fact checks that await climate skeptics even when we get our facts right. And speaking of facts, a new study in the Journal of Climate measuring the warming of Greenland can't find it after 1994. Instead, it says temperatures were flat there from 1958 to 93, jumped a degree or so in 1994, and then have been flat ever since. Only the northern part of Greenland is warmed, probably due to ocean currents. So all that rising CO2 is not doing anything, just as all that melting ice isn't doing anything either, including melting. So, we turn to the CO2Science.org archive for an attempt to construct a 1,500-year temperature record at the old Norse-eastern settlement in Greenland, based on Kiranamid assemblages from sediment cores at Lake Igalaku, which found natural fluctuations, including a brief medieval warm period and then a brutal little ice age during which, weirdly, the weather was less stable, not more so. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and I don't believe warmth brings worse storms.